White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 584. All right, we are at the Hoover Birmingham Sci-Fi and Fantasy Festival for 2021. I'm Van Allen Plexico. I'm the host of the White Rocket Podcast and the White Rocket Entertainment Network and author of quite a few novels and so forth. And joining me today, we have David Wright. We've got Nathan Laws. We've got Kel Carpenter. We've got John Ringer. And I'm so glad to have him here because, gentlemen, we are gathered here to talk about the 20th anniversary of Peter Jackson's amazing Fellowship of the Ring, the first movie in Lord of the Rings trilogy, the first movie in his whole, I guess, six movies and counting Tolkien series. And of course, we're also about to get the Amazon series. So lots of Tolkien going on, but this is what started it all. Unless you want to go back to the Rankin-Bass you know, cartoons or the backsheet cartoon. Uh, this is really what started it all, the live action Tolkien. And so let me, let's run around the room real quick and let everybody introduce themselves. David. My name is David Wright. I am a lifelong sword and sorcery fan, huge fan of Lord of the Rings. And I am the author of the Galahad's Doom novel series, which is very much in the same realm, the same genre as Lord of the Rings. If you like Lord of the Rings, Chronicles, Narnia, King Arthur, Legend, Dragonlance, Chronicles, you will like Galahad's Doom. So check it out on Amazon. It's true. It's good stuff. Nathan. Hi, I'm Nathan Laws. I'm the host of the 42 cast, which is your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. And it's just me and a rotating cast of my friends talking about just about any subject in genre media. And I have been a Lord of the Rings fan since I was very young because my dad read the books to me as a series of bedtime stories. Nice. Very good. Very good. John. You changed the order up on me. I'm, hi, I'm John Ringer. I'm uh, one of Van's regular co-host on the AU Wishbone podcast. We talk about college football and often on the White Rocket podcast where we have talked about Lord of the Rings and other topics. So excited to be here. And in fact, we do an annual Lord of the Rings trivia battle, you and I, every year. And it's usually a tie. And it's movie trivia, too, which is very relevant mm-hmm. to tonight's discussion. That's correct. And I, it's the strangest thing. For like the last five years, every Christmas, John and I do Lord of the Rings movie trivia. And it's almost, if it's not a tie, it's like one point. Either way, we're so dead even. It's crazy. Kel, how are you? Hey, I'm Kel Carpenter. Uh, I'm a librarian at a university here in central Georgia, uh, One at one point known as uh, Beneath the Librarian of Doom or the Dread Librarian. Uh, I've been a fan of Lord of the Rings since my dad talked it up to me as an eight-year-old to go see the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings cartoon uh, and plied me with toys from said movie. Uh, so loved it, read it in middle school, and of course watched him in the theaters for this that we're about to discuss. There you go. And I guess my background is that I um, saw the the Hobbit Rankin Bass cartoon when I was young, when it first started kind of coming out, I guess the late 70s, somewhere in there. And I thought it was pretty cool. That was all right. It was kind of creepy, you know, but it was pretty cool. And then when they, they, you know, they, they, um, they didn't have the rights to the Fellowship of the Ring or the Two Towers because that's basically what Bakshi did. And he didn't get to do the entire story. He only did the first two thirds or whatever. So then Rankin Bass did Return of the King as a standalone story, which just picks up right in the middle of Frodo and Sam at Kirithungal. And, um, and I thought, oh, this is much better. We've got armies and battles and kings. And I mean, this is some serious stuff, you know. So that's what pulled me in was that the cartoon showed me the scope 
of Lord of the Rings and how much bigger of a story it was than just a straight ahead quest there, literally there and back again, right? This was like their giant, giant war and then back again with other, other side quests along the way. So, all right. So I want to talk a little bit about it um, first and I'm going to, um, I want to just talk about when we knew that this was coming and then I'm going to go around the horns, what you guys think. We knew this was coming in the late 90s. I mean, as early as like 1998 or whatever, I was following the OneRing.net and, and Ain't It Cool News like daily. What's going on? What do we know? And wasn't there some trepidation that they were going to screw this up? Because back then, there was not a great track record of movie adaptation. There really wasn't. And I mean, when I went into the theater to see it, and that's our, my, my next question if everybody's going to be like when you first saw it, what was going on. But when I went in, I actually carried, and I've got it around here somewhere. I actually carried my old white Tolkien painting watercolor cover of Fellowship of the Ring with me as like a talisman to ward off the evil spirits in case they were going to screw this thing up. And it worked. It worked. You laugh. You mock me now, but it worked. You're welcome, by the way because I was responsible for that movie being so good. So what did you think about it going beforehand? And when you first heard this was coming out, David? Well, I was a fan of sci-fi fantasy and superheroes growing up in the eighties, a time when those were stories that I consumed and loved, but the movies that made it to the screen in those categories were really kind of awful. They're really kind of bad. The eighties were a bad time for, for superheroes and sword and sorcery fantasy. And so, so um, I was a huge fan of the books. I'd read it. I, I, I have to say, I probably read this series twice through, which I'm sure tons of people had me beat on that, but I was certainly familiar with the story and I was excited to hear they were doing the movies, but um, we started hearing about it in 99, 2000 is when I really got ramped up because I was fully plugged in. What was what, what the wondering.net was reporting and the stuff they were showing just got me so excited. Like I do, here we are, we're in a, we're in an era of filmmaking where I don't have to worry about the cheesiness of the, all the plastic, you know, practical effects of the eighties, you know, Conan, the destroyer fighting the fake snake and stuff like that. So uh, just seeing what I saw in 2000 on their website got me super, super hype. And, and I, in the summer of 2000, the drag, the, the year 2000 dragon con was in July and Brad Dorif and Carl Urban were, had a panel together that I attended and they had just come off the set of oh, wow. shooting. Now keep in mind, they're not in fellowship of the ring. We wouldn't see them until two towers. So and this is 2000. So this is two years prior to their movie coming out. And, um, but all the buzz that summer was about Lord of the Rings and everything about it just looked super positive. And I knew before I, by the time the the theater, by the time the movie hit the theater, I had complete confidence that we were going to get very high quality fantasy that we had never seen before in the movies. And this is like what came later with the MCU and all the superhero movies that finally technology caught up to the ideas of the stories that we love that we can get quality superheroes. Well, a few years prior to that fantasy, you know, came into its own with this movie and there's just, I can't say enough good things about it. Nathan, what about you? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, because historically, I've been kind of unhappy with a lot of book, uh, you know, adaptations and everything. And so, um, you know, I, I was definitely worried. And, and I didn't have an internet connection or a regular one in those days, so I wasn't tracking it. But, you know, I'd read things in magazines. You know, Wizard Magazine might mention, oh, there's going to be a Lord of the Rings. But And remember, at that time, you know, this is before even 99, you know, there were rumors that there would be a Lord of the Rings movie. And that already got my hackles up because I'm like, there's no way you could do that story in one movie and then i heard well maybe it'll be two movies okay that's better but it's still a problem and then it's no it's going to be three movies and it's like okay how long are these movies going to be (laughs) and so when we finally get the new you know fellowship of the ring is finally about to come out it's going to be a two and a half hour movie and i'm like okay maybe that's you know maybe they can actually do it justice and so then there's the previews the trailers you know all those things you know i'm watching those and i'm like okay this looks this looks like they're actually investing in it. It looks like it's the story that I know, you know, or at least close enough. It doesn't look like there's been huge, huge changes to it. And so, yeah, I mean, I went into the movie and I was pretty pleased with what I saw because, yeah, I mean, there were some things that were changed, things that were moved around, things like that. But I mean, for the most part, it was recognizable to me and it was high quality. So I was very happy. And it's funny too, that um, the original proposal that, that Peter Jackson made to the studio was to do two movies. He wasn't the one that suggested doing three movies. They said to him, well, aren't there three books? He's like, well, yeah, but I didn't think you'd want to go for that. And they're like, Oh, just make three movies. He's like, okay. Cause I remember originally like they were going to combine fellowship and two towers into one movie. And the return of the King was going to be one movie by itself. And if you look at the, the, the director's cut, the extended versions now return of the King basically is like, it's, you know, four hours long. I mean, it, so mm-hmm. John, your thoughts about that beforehand. I, I was uh, one of those people who was looking at the the internet in anticipation, looking at the production photos and the you know the the tidbits. As soon as the there was a poster they made for the movie, they had the two towers, the, the not the towers, the statues on the river, Argonath, um, the Argonath, and and uh, of the boats going between them. And it wasn't a picture; it was just like a drawing of the of the boats going to the movie but it was a movie poster and anticipate like two years before the movie came out that went on sale and i bought it and i put it on the back of my office door at work and every day i looked at that picture and I'm like soon that movie's coming and i'm going to get to go see that and so i was very very excited and but also nervous as y'all said i was concerned about the quality i was concerned i didn't trust peter jackson uh, he was a horror director, and right. I didn't like his stuff before this. And so I was right. like, man, man, who is this guy we're trusting this thing I really care about, too? So, but you know, when I saw it in the theater, I was ecstatic because it was so much better than many of the other adaptations of other things. So, exactly. Yeah. Bobby Polite um, and I went on a film fest that year. We watched all the Peter Jackson, including Dead Alive or whatever, that horrible monster one. Uh, the one with the two Australian girls that murder their mothers or something. We uh, and then the fright, oh, the fighters, yeah. whatever. We watched all of those and we're like, well, those are okay, but we couldn't figure out how that was supposed to lead up to him doing Lord of the Rings. And and I don't mean to hog the time, but very quickly, I think that what we kind of figured out was we were saying how another studio doing Lord of the Rings would have put like Chris Columbus on it, mm-hmm. and you would have gotten a very vanilla telling of the story, kid what friendly. Yeah, a very kid-friendly, G-rated Lord of the Rings. And what Peter Jackson did, and John, I think you and I talked about this before, is he brought that horror, dark twist to it so that you, like, for example, see the goblins, the orcs and all, and they look horrific. 
they're scary monsters. They're not just like little gray cartoon guys, like in the cartoons, they're monsters. And you wouldn't have gotten that with a lot of other directors, I think. And that, that gave a little seasoning to it, gave a little, mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. jalapeno to the sauce, you know? Um, and you see, you see, you see that in shots like when they're on the road and they first encounter the black rider and they're hiding under the tree. Oh yeah. Frodo knows it's coming. And you get that zoom in of Frodo and it's that classic horror shot of, Oh gosh, something's coming. Exactly. I mean, that's, or, that's Peter Jackson's. The, the scene that always, the scene that always occurs when we talk about that is actually in the two towers when they find um, the dead bodies of the, uh, of the Uruk high in, in Rohan. And the first thing you see is the orc's head with his tongue sticking out on the, on the spike. I'm like, yeah, Chris Columbus would not have done that in like a Harry Potter version of this. No, you wouldn't have, ah, you know, that would have beheaded orc. Um, the Argonath poster, I had the exact same one. I still do. It's the, it's in a very expensive frame and it's the only thing of mine hanging in our living room and has been for the last 15 years. So I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Kel, what about you going in to see it? Uh, I, I did not have as much forehand uh, foreknowledge. Um, I, it was not on my radar a lot. I had a coworker who would give me little teases and say, Hey, go check out the one ring.net. And I'd look at it every now and then we had dial up at home. Uh, not a lot of time at work at that point. And so, you know, it was like, eh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that it's coming, but you know, and I had, as I said, seen the animated stuff. I had seen the Hobbit first in elementary school. And then my dad took us to see the, the Bakshi movie. And then I, I had caught, uh, like you did return of the King in Hobbit style on television. Uh, so, you know, I read the, I read the novels in middle school. So I kind of read at them and not like full reads. So I knew the story. I remembered it, but you know, I, I was not like hankering for it, but I thought, Oh, this is going to be good. You know, modern special effects. And, you know, it was really funny. A lot of my thoughts about this, as far as where I was or with my wife, because she had never read the novel. She had never seen the cartoon. She really didn't know the story. And, you know, she was like glued to the screen. It was just like, this is so good. And then it, it ends. And she's like, that's it. What's going on? And I'm like, no, this is part one. What? I said, yeah, part two's coming next next year. D- next is what? Ah, I got to know more. It, it drove her to read the books. I mean, she there you go. You know, wouldn't have read a book. So I, I, a lot of how I'm looking at this now is kind of those memories of how she experienced it. It was like, wow, this is so incredible. So, And we got to introduce our daughter to it, too, which is even There better. you go. Yeah. Well, and this did become a phenomenon like a Star Wars or like any other huge franchise that people did camp out in front of movie theaters with the next movie and came dressed in cosplay and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it it was huge. I I, um, if you got any interesting stories along those lines, let's note them now, because I'll tell you mine when um, I, I did go early for all of them, sat there for hours with my girlfriend at the time. It was a huge Tolkien fan, too. And um when when they released Return of the King on Thursday in 2003, of de- December 2019th or whatever it was in 2003, on Tuesday of that week, they released it early with the other two movies before it in the extended version. And they called it Trilogy Tuesday. And they showed it at like 10 theaters around the country that were big enough and had the state-of-the-art THX sound system. And... Um, she, my girlfriend at the time was going to, uh, George Washington university in Washington. So I flew from Atlanta to Washington on Monday night and picked her up 
in Washington. We drove to Baltimore and got in line at 11 o'clock that night. They opened the doors at 11 o'clock the next morning to see all three of them from 11 a.m. till midnight. And I, I mostly slept through Fellowship of the Ring because I couldn't sleep. It was so cold outside that theater in Baltimore in yeah. December. And, and by the way, I paid. Um, I've never told this before, but I'll, I'll reveal this as for this for this audience only. How much money did I pay for those tickets? Two tickets to see the trilogy Tuesday. Six hundred and eighty dollars. <laughs> I did on eBay. I kept losing auctions. I'd bid two hundred and lose. I'd bid three hundred and lose. I'd bid. I got. I said. I said. I'm taking my entire adjunct teaching paycheck from my side job for this month, putting it down, and I got it. And the people ahead of us in line. We were. By the way, we got there twelve hours before they opened the door, and we were like thirty something in line. Hmm. Talking to Nathan, talking about it being a phenomenon, people lining up. There you go. Hmm. And the people in front of us had two tickets. They won for free from radio stations. So I wanted to kill myself. Um, <laughs> I want to go around now real quick and say what your favorite scene is. And I'm going to tell you mine. This is like the meat of it. And I'm going to tell you mine because my favorite scene in the entire trilogy, honestly, is Moria, the minds hmm. of Moria. And that's because, as, as has been expressed on this on our shows on many occasions, I like a good quest. I like a good mission. Right. And this is like they're they're trying to this it's the only time in the entire story you have all nine of them together, really. Yeah, because we lose Gandalf at the end of this section and then you're down to eight. And then after uh Ammon Hen, you're down to seven. So um this is the only time you have all nine of the of the fellowship doing a mission. And um I love it. I love the underground stuff, the it's all dark, it's got a lot of tension, a lot of shadows. Uh, you've got everything from the 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 tomb room where they're in there and have to fight the the rock the cave troll all the way to the Balrog. I mean, everything when they're underground to me is just the top of this entire trilogy. Um, let me try around the other direction this time. Kel, what is your favorite scene in this whole movie? So I'm gonna piggyback, but I'm gonna zoom in on Moria. Um, my absolute favorite, and it's probably from all of them, is the part in Moria when they're not sure where to go, and Gandalf and Frodo have the discussion about Gollum, and the whole thing about pity, and you know the part that Gant that uh, Gollum has to play, and everything, and like the the whole sequence where you know Frodo, I wish the ring had never come to me. And, you know, Gandalf has that wonderful, wonderful thing that Tolkien wrote however many years before about, you know, so say all the people who live to see times like these, you know, you, you can't do what you can't choose what you've got. Just make what you can can at the time you have. And for me, that was like three months post 9-11. And I think for me, it just kind of resonated like, wow, this is hopeful. This is, you know, this is like the meat of what hope in a horrible situation is. Thank God I'm not trapped underground with some thing crawling behind me trying to get what I'm carrying. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's just that hopefulness and that, you know, gosh, I'm I'm hopeful because, you know, the ring went to Bilbo because it went to Bilbo when he was meant to be. And I, that gives me great hope. And how can you find hope in such a desolate place? Ah, oh, it's beautiful. That That's my absolute yeah. favorite. And that's a good point, too, by the way, Kale, we can think about is that it this, this did start coming out three months after 9-11. And I think if it had been any closer, it would have maybe even hurt the movie. I don't know. But I think enough time had passed that people were ready for an escape. And that worked out really well. John, I'll give you a second here to click your button. Um, what about you? Favorite scene and why? I, I, I'm going to, you know, 
pile on, but uh, the bridge of Khazad Doom for me. Yeah. Um, you know, the scene, I think the scene, every scene with the Balrog is perfect. I think just the glow coming down the hallway, getting bigger, and then Gandalf kind of realizing what it is, and they all, everybody running, um, is excellent. And then, and then Gandalf facing on the bridge is awesome and a great moment. And I love it. Um, I mean, I also love the, the scene at the end. I mean, I love the, you know, uh, the, the breaking of the, of the fellowship, yeah. that part was, is really powerful the way they did it. So I really liked how they adapt. They did that in the movie. I think it really works. So that's it for me. Yeah, that's, that's right. That I was going to say in a minute that my other favorite is, is Amon Hin, the big battle at the right. end. And, and I think that they did a good job of both making it a finale for a story that needed an ending right. there. Because of bringing it in from the second book, yeah. really, a lot of it came in from the Two Towers. Mm-hmm. And by creating that lead Uruk High that could be like a sub-sub-villain, mm-hmm. so you can kill somebody mm-hmm. before, by the end of the story, right? Right. So that was, yeah. Uh, yep. Nathan, favorite scene and why? I feel like I'm just basic here because <laughs> I'm also going to go with Moria. And the one thing I'm going to mention that nobody's mentioned yet is the music, oh. uh, especially when they're running and you see the orcs just crawling over everything, basically following them down the hallway, but also like being on the walls and, you know, like all of that stuff as that the light is getting closer, like it's already been mentioned. But, um, you know, the the score for this whole movie the whole trilogy really is is brilliant and fantastic i own it um but but that one in particular that that track is one that is really really good it really ratchets up the tension and really gets your heart pounding during that scene which is what you want howard shore is brilliant it's hard to imagine he was the saturday night night live music director before he went into scoring and he did that incredible score i saw him conduct it live in atlanta and i saw another conductor conduct fellowship live while the movie played with no music in St. Louis. So I absolutely adore the music. David, your favorite scene and why? All right. I'm not going to say Moria. How about that? (laughs) Um, The, uh, so first, since I'm last, I'm going to give quick multiple answers. Um, From the very beginning of fellowship of the ring, it absolutely had me captivated. I I was on board that prologue, Mm -hmm. just the way they opened with the history and the, yeah. just the tone and the flavor, you have Galadriel narrating it. You get an overview of the rings, the second, uh, the final alliance, whatever it is, in the second age with the elves. All of that just set the stage. It gave you the scope of the story. And I just, it, it gave me confidence that the, these storytellers know the material and we're going to get the whole story. And I, it gave me goosebumps just to see that we open with that. Then uh, the, um, the that scene where Gandalf is arriving at Bag End, he's going up the hill, he's in the wagon, and you've got the grass, you know, and it perfectly recreates a famous illustration or painting that that um, that I think was already kind of in our pop cultural subconscious, and it just absolutely resonated. And it's like oh, this this is real. This is this is Middle Earth. Like like I was so immersed from that moment on. It's just that perfect image of he absolutely nailed. Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings. So, also real quick, anything with the Black Riders is totally cool. Um, their introduction, the chase at night to Bree, where they're behind them and they're trying to get on the river. Um, also, when they almost catch them at the river, and Arwen calls down the water horses and washes yeah. them away. Very cool action stuff. Love it. But to pick my real, to get my real answer and my number one scene, it's the uh, it is Boromir's death scene. 
Ah. It's that dialogue with him and Aragorn. And he's like, you know, my brother, my captain, my king. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, man, good stuff. Goosebumps. Love it. And and the symmetry that he hits gets hit by three arrows, just like uh, uh, his fourth uh, oh, crap. Um, Isildur, 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 yeah, died exactly the same way as Isildur. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, yeah, mm, no kidding. Right, great, great stuff. I, I I like that Arwen is in it. I like that Jackson tried to give the female characters more to do, particularly her. I know his original plan was that she was actually going to go with them through Moria and stuff, and I'm just like. Oh, you need to stick to the book as best you can, but they still found things for her to do. So that was, that was good. Um, uh, I had a note here. We could talk about really quickly, any random factoids that you want to throw in. I think we've thrown in a few already, but does anybody have a particular factoid that you're dying to share that maybe others don't know about? Um, so uh, not necessarily a factoid, but an observation. So I, I couldn't find to rewatch it for this. Anything but the extended version, and I'm so, so sorry because that's the only one I'll yeah, ever watch. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, actually, I finished it today while I was working. Uh, you know, mm. so it's like here. Um, but what's really I picked up on um, Gandalf and Saruman both do research. They go and they dig through stuff and they find out histories and stuff. Wizards are librarians. Yes. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so awesome! So yeah, that's that's my little yeah. Awesome. Every every library needs a room like the one at Minas Tirith. Yeah, I I like that we got to see Minas Tirith. Yeah, I, I was I remember in the theater when Gandalf rides up and you see those the formations you know of the side yeah. of the city and I'm sitting there going uh huh wait <laughs> what? what what is that you know because I couldn't quite believe that we were actually seeing it. In this movie, I, I was expecting it in maybe the second one, certainly in the third one, but not in not in Fellowship. Oh, and I believe Nathan has his. There it is. Yeah, oh, I've got one of those over here, too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's there cool. Is. Is, is your white tower still connected? Because mine falls off all the time. Yeah, I don't think you heard you. Oh, Nathan couldn't hear me. I said, is your white tower gone, too? Because mine falls off all the time. Oh, you're muted. You're muted. You're muted. <laughs> Everybody stare. button. Press sorry sorry i don't mean to mess up the the panel but yeah i just wanted to show this because it was right here and i was like oh yeah i've got this thing and it is such detailed work yes. even though they sold them like in stores like with the the dvd set for the extended edition and um and it's beautiful but yeah the tower yeah breaks off at the i mine yeah mine is my tower is over there on the shelf next to it it's uh it was weird though. They did the Argonath statues bookends for the for Fellowship, and they did Minas Tirith for Return of the King. And I'm like, oh, they're gonna have something really cool for Two Towers. It was Gollum with a fish. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't want Gollum with a fish. I want like Helm's Deep or Minas Morgul or something. Come on, man. But anyway, okay. Um, yeah, yes. Factoid. I got a yeah. factoid. Um, so one of the things I love the most about this movie is just the look of it, the design, all the design elements, the production, the set, all the details, the different cultures represented, you know, the armors, the weapons, the architecture. And uh, it comes down to John Howe and Alan Lee. They were yes. longtime Tolkien illustrators that had made their career out of doing Tolkien art. And then Jackson hired them and brought them on as the designers for the movie. And it, it just brought it all to life, it gave it a depth and a, and a richness of detail that really feels unprecedented to me. 
um, because just the amount of time they spent on getting everything right. And, and I mean, you look at like the details of Rivendell, right? And you, or you look at that, what they did with the Shire to make it look exactly right. And it's all because they had these guys who had pretty much helped establish the definitive vision of what we all imagine all this stuff to look like. You know, there hadn't been very many adaptations. You had the animated stuff and that was, that was pretty much it, you know, but somehow, uh, these are images that are already familiar with us that we were, we could say, oh yeah, they got that totally right. And that's because there has been this rich tradition of Tolkien illustration and how and Lee were, were two leaders in that category. So to bring them into the movie, I think really informed the look of the movie in a very rich way. And Good thank team. goodness they went with those two guys and not the brothers Hildebrandt, because it's not that I don't like the brothers Hildebrandt art, but their Lord of the Rings art is more campy. You know what I mean? It's more cartoonish in a way, whereas Lee and Howe, it's elegant. Right. And it really comes through in the movies. Right. Any the other brands are trivia. The Hildebrands are ElfQuest and the, yeah. the others are the others are Macquarie for Star Wars. I mean, that's kind yeah. of right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's yeah. about right. That's a good equivalent. Yeah, I, I would like to to mention, you know, I already talked about Howard Shore in my other comment, but um, basically how he approached the scoring of the movie, which uh, I think it's fairly well known that Tolkien was very interested in language, and that's why he developed full languages for all the races in Middle Earth and everything, and, and there's, lang you know, even a written language, all that. Um, but um, what Howard Shore did is he created a musical language, is what he called it, in that different places had different instruments, and there were different tunes for different characters and so you would as characters came and went you would lose bits of the melody or gain bits of the melody and when you're in different lo locations like in Rohan it's all strings you know and so by that he sort of was tell helping to tell the story of what was happening with the music that was in it and it's really it's really interesting when you think of it that way because usually music is not that involved with the storytelling you know it's just there to like right. get um, an emotion going and I found that you know, to be really cool uh, to go back and listen to it with that in mind. He uses light motifs. Yeah. It's that Wagnerian approach where every, yeah, there's, I mean, and, and the first movie is the one that has the best score in my opinion, because um, when they did, when he created, when Shore created the, the Lord of the Rings symphony, he did it in three parts, one for each movie. And um, the first part is so good because it's got the Hobbit themes, the, the orc theme, the, the Rivendell theme, the Lothlorien theme, uh, on and on and on. The ring has a theme I may have mentioned, right? Each There's so many different ones. You get to two towers, you basically have the Rohan theme, which is cool, and that's about it. You get to Return of the King, and you have the Gondor theme, which is pretty cool, really cool, but that's about it. But you get so many in that first one. So it, it's, the music is so rich. And I don't think Peter Jackson ever fully appreciated just how, just what a, a marvel uh, he was, the, uh, Howard Shore was creating. I, I think it's very underrated, uh, even with its own director, because I remember he the reason the Rohan theme is catchy is that when Jackson, when uh, when Shore was working on it, Peter Jackson went to him and said, could you make this something that I hum afterward? Make it something that is a tune. And he did that. Da -da 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 and Peter Jackson said he, he listened to it and he wasn't sure. And he said an hour later, he was walking around the studio humming it and he went oh okay i guess it worked because <laughs> he didn't <laughs> realize he was humming it so that was pretty cool all right our next question our next topic is what is age the best and the worst let's combine these as we run around real quick um 
David, what is the age the best and the worst in your opinion out of the out of this movie? Well, the first thing I always look at is CGI because um, yeah. I've reached a point in my movie going it was after Endgame that I'm kind of burned out on CGI, and so in my personal life, I kind of have delved back into 1980s cinema, just kind of immersed myself in the 80s because it's all mostly pre digital, and I've just kind of it's refreshing to watch things that don't rely on CGI. So obviously, there's CGI in these movies, including Fellowship of the Ring, but what ages the best is that Peter Jackson used practical effects and sets as much as possible. He really uh, kind of merged the two together in a very artful way. Um, and I th like using like Minas Tirith, you know, that's a, that's a miniature, right? It might be 20 feet tall, but it's still a miniature and he's but able to super detailed and get, and you're using stuntmen in costumes for the goblins, right? They're not all CGI like in the Hobbit movies. So the, so all the practical effects that, that and the, how he's able to use practical elements to really give reality to his shots. I think that absolutely helps uh, these movies from aging too quickly. And where where, it's, where it doesn't age well is where the CGI has to be relied on a little too much. I think it's like, I think particularly of the cave troll and particularly of Legolas's digital double that's crawling around on top of him. <laughs> I think, you know, it's already kind of, eh, but it's, I think that will end up kind of not aging well. But, but then when you have like in the prologue, the battles, all the big armies in the background, they're digital, but you've got real actors up front in the foreground. And I think that's, that's the right approach. And I'm a big fan of stuntmen in costumes and makeup instead of just all CGI monsters. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Nathan, what says the best in the world? Uh, I mean, David's taken my answer again for best. And, and this is odd for me because I generally do not like CGI. I have always been a champion of, you know, real effects. This was, and this was coming right off of my hatred of the Phantom Menace when that came out and how much CGI was in it. And so I was kind of worried about that aspect going into the movie. But actually, Fellowship of the Ring was the movie that I kept saying, like, this is how you do CGI. Like, you merge it with, like, real stuff rather than you use it to alter perception of real things rather than um, just creating like whole things out of nothing right and and so that's what I really appreciated about it and even going back and watching it now I feel like because that was the approach that was used you know I have a lot of tolerance for the CGI in this movie because when you over rely on CGI that's something that ages really horribly because in you know three four years there's going to be better CGI out there and it's going to look like garbage and uh, the, you know Lord of the Rings does not have that with me you know I still can suspend my disbelief with the you know with the CGI um, and I am awful for what has aged poorly like I tried to rack my brains about what has aged poorly on this one I didn't really have a good answer for that one so I'm just gonna let somebody else get into that John what do you think I wrote down the physical sets to me so kind of mm. playing off David's answer like I think the the construction of the physical sets, not relying on CGI digital effects to make it look like they were in the Shire, but physically building the Shire, building the houses, the inside of the houses felt very real. The the layout, the landscape, the gardens, the you know, the fields of the Shire felt very real. And because they were real, they actually did it. It's in New Zealand. You could go there. And so I appreciated that. Um, and I think that it did age the best because it it looks like a real they're in a real place uh, that people really live in and I, I really appreciate that i i don't know what's aged the worst i mean maybe some of the golem stuff in the in the first one but it's a tough one uh there's not a lot it, of it no it's, it's i'm saying I, but i also appreciate like how he even with the limited cgi they had like they used he's darkness well 
<clears throat> so you know st if, uh, the orcs or, go or golem and stuff were in the darkness so you didn't see them clearly uh and so you didn't get the whole thing yeah kel what do you think age the best and the worst uh best is the chemistry between the cast um just what struck me seeing it split it yesterday and today it's just that you can see them grow together as friends and you know just the way that they obviously interacted well together and really to the next level is just a, a beauty to see again um effects are kind of in some of the some of the not aged well aged worst um particularly when they're running in moria trying to escape the balrog the long shot uh, and that's what i noticed a lot of the heavily effects are those long shots where you're not up close and i guess they're hoping you don't see but when they're running down, you know, to, to head to the bridge of Casa Doom and they're down this long hallway, it almost looks like, you know, your standard video game. Up, oh, let's advance and they're running down the hall to get to the next to the next part of the quest. That that looked like that to me. And of course, the worst, absolute worst scene in the whole movie is when the ring accidentally lands oh. on Frodo's finger. Nope. Yeah, there's got to be a better way to do that. Ugh. I just tell myself that it was an intelligent thing, right? And it knew yeah, what it yes. was doing. I, I did um, appreciate the the movie making piece of making the ring a character. Yes, right? it had oh, its yeah. own music. It had its own with its own theme know, lens and and focus on it. So it was like a thing that was actively participating in the movie. Yeah, yeah. They had they had several different versions of it of different sizes and materials too, so they could film it at different ranges and it would always look substantial and everything. Yeah, I think the one in the foreground in the snow right after they escaped Moria, I think that one was like this like twelve mm -hmm. inches or something like that. Mm -hmm. But going off on what Kel said, let's talk about the cast. Uh, for such uh, a large cast, they absolutely nailed it. I mean, how perfect is the cast? I can't imagine anybody in any of these roles doing any better of a job. Although. Uh, David Bowie wasn't he up for Elrond? He would have been a good Elrond. Mm. But <laughs> my fan but, cast in my brain growing up reading the books was always Mark Leonard as Elrond. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, Man, okay. Been, okay. Yeah, I can see All that. Right. But still, you're not going to complain about Hugo Weaving, you know? So I no, mean, no. I mean, it's what, what, yeah, a, I mean, what an you amazing have Mark cast. Leonard anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> so. I I think that the thing for me that aged the 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 best is, and I noticed this the first couple of times I saw it was that it it didn't have that antiseptic filmed in a studio look. They got the characters dirty from mm. square one and they only got dirtier. And there's a scene <laughs> where Frodo is holding the ring in his hand and they zoom in on his hand and you expect it to look like that, you know, and it's filthy. You can see all the dirt. And I'm like, under his fingernails. Thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They even thought to make him dirty because he's been out in the freaking woods for a month or two at this point. I was brilliant. All right. So but there's one thing I'm going to call shenanigans on with that that I that bothered me even at the time. It's a little nit, but it bothered me is that Aragorn stubble stays a perfect stubble length. It never grows into a beard and he never has to shave to get clean shaven. And I was like, yeah. how is that stubble just maintaining that he, he, He's a Dunedain. He only needs a haircut like once every 20 years. From moving weird. Yeah, he's and got well, the, the same disease. The, that, uh, the go for actually... No, we Props to Vigo for actually staying dirty the whole time of filming. They said yeah, he did. slept out in the woods and didn't bathe and law. Oh, yeah. Well, Method you action. know, and he, 
Th- let me talk about Aragorn for a second. That that was the that's the Daniel Day Lewis approach, and Daniel Day Lewis would have been a hell of an Aragorn. I think Daniel Day Lewis could have done I mean, it. He's the only other person I could think of. The weird thing is that he was none. Neither one of them was originally cast. The original actor that was going to play Aragorn was um, the guy from Interview with the Vampire, um, blonde-headed guy, very young. And after like two days of filming, PJ is like, "This is not." I can't think of his name, but he's like, "This is not working. I need somebody that's tougher, bigger, heavier." Was it Stuart um, Thompson? Stuart Thompson? No. Stuart, Stuart, Stuart something maybe. I it'll. But anyway, so he he called up. Uh, Viggo Mortensen and said, can you get to New Zealand in like two days? And Viggo went to his son, who was a teenager and said, what do you know about Lord of the Rings? And his son is like, oh, this is, that's a great story. Please. And Viggo's like, all right, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. Yeah. And so the, as soon as he got off the airplane, the very first thing he did was film Weathertop. Stuart Townsend. Stuart Townsend. Yeah. Townsend. I said Townsend. It would have been terrible. I don't know what PJ was thinking. He would have been terrible. Yeah. I know, I know Viggo like immersed himself in the Elvish language and really tried to yeah. Learn as much as he could and advocated to work as much of it into the movies as, as he could. Oh, yeah. The thing that's aged the worst for me very quickly is uh, it, 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 from the very minute I saw it was how many times in this movie. And this is the only really bad thing I have to say about the movie that has driven me crazy. This is what keeps it from being really a perfect movie for me. How many times in the movie does Frodo get killed and then he's fine? And I mean, <laughs> in, in Moria, he's stabbed by the troll and he's like, Oh, 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 and then he's on the ground, like totally unconscious. And they're like rolling around, Frodo, Frodo, are you dead? And he's like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine, guys. It's all good. And you're like, Well, then why are you lying there dead? Why don't you get up and not make us scared to death, man? And over and over, we get that like at least three times. So that was the only thing. I, I just felt like PJ felt like that would be a good idea. He just went to the well too many times. But that's my only real nitpick, nit to pick about the. About the movies and the eyes. Do we have the drama queen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do we have any other cast changes we want to suggest, or or would it be interesting if beyond um, Daniel Day Lewis as Aragorn? I thought was a pretty good one. I don't know if this counts because obviously they cut the character completely. But I always thought Robin Williams would be a great Tom Bombadil. Oh wow! <laughs> I salute you for Black. that. Jack Black would be a great Tom oh. Bombadil. <laughs> Jack Black, oh man, he is not good for anything. How about how about uh, exactly Tom Bombadil? Uh, how about I'm if I zag and go like, what if I went like um, '80s Eddie Murphy as Tom? Just <laughs> oh. somebody you need somebody that's a little off center. I agree that that um, Robin Williams is kind of the in his prime is kind of the mm. ideal. Just I, you know, and oh god, you know what though. They could have, if you'd gone that direction and they'd had to keep going until they found somebody that would do it, you'd have had Jim Carrey. And I don't think we wanted Jim Carrey in this movie. I don't think we wanted him within a thousand miles of New Zealand while it was being filmed. Hmm. So I think we all worked out. Any other cast suggestions or, or changes? Or is there somebody you think would have directed it? Have you guys seen the YouTube video that they did years ago where they do like Howard Hawks, Lord of the Rings, starring Humphrey Bogart? <laughs> no. If you've uh-huh. never seen that, Oh my gosh, it's the greatest. It's only like about eight minutes long. They do the entire oh, Lord yeah. of the Rings using film clips of Bogart movies and like hmm. Sydney Green Street is Gandalf. Wow. And um, the I'm not even going to spoil who the Balrog is, but that's my favorite scene. When he go when Bogey goes into Moria and he encounters the Balrog, and I'm just like, yes, 
Yes, it's so great. But yeah, just go and go on YouTube and search for uh, Howard Hawks, Lord of the Rings, Bogart, whatever. It'll it'll get you there. I've they, seen the Russian. I've seen the Russian TV adaptation. It's hilarious. <laughs> I was going to, and then I said, "No, I can't do it." It's that. so bad. It's awesome. Isn't yeah. there a Turkish version too, maybe or something? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Maybe it's Star Wars I'm thinking of. Maybe they're like a Turkish Star Wars. Yeah. Know. When you suggested this question, Van, I thought that you meant like who's around now that if they made it again, like who sure. would be cast oh. in these positions? So, you- yeah. Sure. So, so like I, I didn't come up with a full list or anything, but one of the ones that I thought, you know, looking at older actors, someone who could play like Gandalf and Saruman, I, I thought David Warner would be perfect to Saruman. Um, yeah. I, I think he's stellar in everything. And I was thinking Anthony Hopkins is Gandalf. Um, I think a lot of the things that he brings to playing Odin uh, would also serve him well playing Gandalf as well. I think he was considered for it. Oh, was he? Yeah. He and Sean Connery were both offered, I think. That Mm. was, yeah, Sean Connery was the one they wanted. And I'm so glad that we didn't get him because it was basically stunt casting to get some publicity for the movie, I think. And I I don't think I would have, I mean, obviously nobody's going to be better than McKellen, but um, but it would have, that would have been a very different movie. And for composers, I was thinking um, Michael Giacchino, because Mm. um, after listening to the Doctor Strange uh, score, um, it's so interesting, like what he plays with musically and like how like it's very different from what you would normally hear in a superhero movie and everything. I'd really love to give him Lord of the Rings and see what he could do with that. Yeah, would have been interesting. I agree that the the conductor who did um, 13th Warrior. I can't remember if it was uh, go, uh, Gold. Oh crap! I get them all mixed up. But Jerry Goldsmith. I think it was Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, hey, he could have. Yeah, he's workman like. He could have done a pretty good job on. I think too. Um, any other cast suggestions or changes for anybody? You, you would talking about directors. You would be. I would be terrified that they would do something like you know Zack Snyder and his <laughs> his God. morally bankrupt and soulless Lord of the Rings. Where Lord Sauron of the Three Hundred Rings. Yes, yeah, Sauron wins, and that's the whole point because life is hopeless. Um, I wasn't drinking anything uh, when you said that because it would have been all over my uh, Wow. Wow. <laughs> in fact, Frodo just kills people in Bree just because. I was going to say, <laughs> I didn't like how he looked at me. How and dark the movie would be six hours long because everything's yeah. in slow motion. Oh, and yeah. Aragorn and Boromir realized their mothers were both named Martha. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I've taken my this brother, terrible mode. my captain, my king. <laughs> oh, Lord, I, I was I was asking if this could be remade as an Amazon or Netflix series, but it kind of is being re- being made as an Amazon prequel. So are there any thoughts just real quick? I don't want to spend very much time on this. because We've got two more questions to go in our last 10 minutes or so. But any thoughts on that show? Is it going to give us is it going to enhance what we love about Lord of the Rings movies? Or is it just a pale ripoff for cash? What are, what, what are your thoughts, David, about that show? Are you planning on watching it? And what do you think? I am planning on watching it. I want to be optimistic about it. Um, I, I love the fact that we're going to get second age stories. And yeah. I do understand that Philippa Boyens has come on board as some sort of story oh. consultant or something like that. And they are doing it in New Zealand. So I guess that means Weta is involved. Um, so it's not officially related to Peter Jackson's work, but they're going to make it where they kind of all kind of work together. You know, it, it'll, it'll serve as one piece. So I'm super excited. We're getting second age. They just, I don't want them to mess it up. I mean, I know Amazon, they're bringing plenty of budget to it. 
And, you know, these streaming services, That's these kind of big budget shows, they're usually done right. I think the quality of the production is going to be there as long as they have the right people adapting the stories. Um, of course, you see the news out there, the casting calls for for nudity and stuff like that. And 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 I'm thrown off by that because I know that the Tolkien That's estate right. is involved and they have absolutely approved what they're doing. I just don't see how nudity fits into that. And I hope they don't try to go hard Game of Thrones in that area. As long as they stay away from that pitfall, I have high hopes for Yeah, Game of Thrones is in its own lane and it needs to stay there and not, you don't need Tolkien trying to get into that. Yeah, that'd be weird. Nathan, any thoughts about the TV show? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of cynical, I think, because yeah, I'm worried that they're just trying to do their own Game of Thrones and they're like, what do we have available to option? Oh, we got Tolkien. Okay, well, we'll get that license and and we'll just create our own Game of Thrones. Now, uh, like David said, though, the fact that it's the second age is good because that's the age where you have the most leeway to do what you want because what we know about the second age is very limited. You know, the rumors originally were that was going to be the Silmarillion as a TV series and I was like, how in the world are you going to do the Silmarillion <laughs> as a TV series, uh, but with the Second Age, there's a lot to you know that that you can that you can do with that. It doesn't really stretch the bounds of the stories that Tolkien said. So uh, I find that promising. But yeah, I'm I'm worried that it's going to be TV MA. You know, lots of swearing, gore, and sex. And I'm like that that that's not what Tolkien should be. And yeah, so why is it and Hobbit in my bleep bleeping? Yeah. <laughs> right. if, if, it's, if it's rated MA, I probably won't be watching. It, yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know. I have a little bit of faith. John, what are your thoughts about TV show real quick? I I mean again, one of the things that makes the movie great was the movie going experience that we've talked about of going in the theater and seeing it the the whole first story together at one time in the theater. So in the sense that in that sense, could they be made to Netflix Amazon or Netflix series? How do I feel about it? I think it really loses something. Right. But at the same time, I understand what they're doing. They're mining the IP to make money and stuff. And that's what it is. But so I'm going to watch it. I'm 100 percent. But I'm, you know, I'm not incredibly optimistic. Um, I, you know, I guess I'll be pleasantly surprised if it turns out to be good. That's how I am. I mean, it's basically going to be the Numenor Chronicles is what I'm mm-hmm. thinking. Right. It's yeah. going to be the, the the Numenorians and Sauron when he's still is he still handsome in this period or is this after he's already turned into a. I get the first and second age is kind of confused. I'm not well, exactly. The second age is a large period of time. Who knows what, how they're, yeah, what it, you know, if it's toward the end, it's, you know, what we got in the battle there. Right. In the, in the history. So he's in the armor and who knows, you know, he's fully. And do they have a finite plan for number of episodes or they, is it open-ended? Cause then how do you structure your story? You have to have a definite endpoint because we know the chronology. They had to commit to, to doing at least two seasons up front. In order to get the rights and 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 like a billion dollars or something, I don't know. It's just ridiculous. The rumors that I've heard is that it's going to be early in the second age, so they've got a lot of room to play with of just doing season and season and season if they want to. I'd love to see Numenor. The only character I know that we're going to get that we know is um, Galadriel. They've already cast her. She's going to be in it. That's uh, that's the only one I know. And I guess Celeborn, but (laughs) who knows? He never says anything. Uh, a friend of mine used to call him uh, Galadriel's boy toy. Kel, any thoughts on that we haven't already mentioned about the TV show before we? Um, I, I'm hopeful that with with Christopher Tolkien no longer in the picture, that they'll mm. have a little more leeway to work with Boyens and with Jackson to get some continuity and some sort of flow. So that there's because I know Christopher Tolkien was not a fan of of the right. movies and never wanted. 
Jackson involved again and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, who knows? Um, it, if it goes the direction that the Watchmen, like in, in spirit, the Watchmen HBO series did after the, the movie, I think we'll get a spectacular um, new take on Middle Earth and stuff that we weren't expecting. I don't know. It's interesting to me, too, that, that not only is Amazon doing this, they're also about to do Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the other two massive fantasy things besides Game of Thrones. They're like, oh, here's this and here's this. So enjoy, you guys. It's like it's like if uh, they got, you know, if, if Marvel's out there, they got DC and like image, you know, at the same time. It's kind of amazing. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm I'm I'm. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely going to watch it, and I'm going to be positive about it until I have reason to think otherwise. The Pinnacle. We like to do this on our on our various panels and shows. We talk about this movie represented the Pinnacle for what? And I'm going to ask you guys a few things. Was this the Pinnacle for the Lord of the Rings series, or or is another one of the, is another movie higher up? Um, and what did you think the Pinnacle was? If not, David. Uh, well, as far as the best movie in the series, I go back and forth between this and Return of the King. I really do like Return of the King a lot. Uh, for different reasons, it, it did end up leaning heavily into CGI. But as far as like just that perfect feeling, I think Fellowship of the Ring nails it for me as far as the high point of the series. Yeah. Um, I have other types of pinnacles. Do you want me to yeah. get into that now? Yeah. yeah. So uh, first of all, go, going back to the perfect cast and also doing practical effects where possible, I think it's a pinnacle for um, forced perspective filmmaking. Yeah, uh, they did. They relied a lot on some old school in camera tricks That's to right. be able to cast full size people in little people roles. Right. Because before they cast it back in the 90s, we were wondering we were thinking of little people actors like how are they going to do the hobbits? And Peter Jackson just had a totally different answer. And it's some of the first perspective shots are really cool to see. Uh, it's also a pinnacle. Oh, I've got a couple of others. I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, but uh Pinnacle of extended DVD box sets experiences. <laughs> Good, I've got them all. <laughs> well, I've got all right. I've got the theatrical ones. I've got the the box sets of the extended versions. I've got the Blu-ray set from Costco, and I've got the 4K box set. If this thing was on VHS, I'd have the tapes. I'm I'm a junkie for behind the scenes documentaries mm. and uh, cast and crew. Yeah. Uh, commentaries, and we get multiples of those. You could yeah. watch these movies oh. for a month and not repeat yourself. So, uh, and, and then, and then, uh, well, I got one more pinnacle answer, but I'll come back to it. I don't want to stay in base thunder. So if there's time, right, I'll, give it, I'll give one more. Nathan. Uh, yeah, to me, this is definitely the pinnacle of the three movies. Um, you know, it's the one I, I, it's my favorite. Um, I feel like it, it hews most closely to the text, uh, of the three of them. And to me, that is important, important consideration. Um, and so, you know, that's, you know, I, I, I'll i just say this, like two towers had me scratching my head as I left because I did not see how like Shelob was not the you know, like the cliffhanger of, you know, you think Frodo's dead at the end of it, you know. So, yeah, that was uh, that was that just just bothered me. Um, but anyway, <laughs> no, right. um, but uh, but um, yeah, as far as other pinnacles, um, I think that this was a pinnacle for uh, model work. Uh, which is kind of close to what David was saying, but like what a workshop, all the work they did, you know, 
I, I, you know, like we got those, those, you know, beautiful, uh, uh, things with the five disc DVD sets. Uh, but you know, all that work, if you watch the extras on the DVD showing the painstaking detail, the work that went into all that stuff, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. And it's the kind of stuff that nowadays almost everybody just does with CGI. They don't worry about creating something practical. So, uh, absolutely love that. Uh, I think it was a pinnacle for Howard Shore. Um, as far as like his work, like this, this is one of those like once in a lifetime works that somebody can produce. And I think that, that he kind of peaked here, um, with that. And, um, uh, an actor that I absolutely love that we haven't even mentioned in this movie is one of my favorites is John Reese Davies. And I think that this is the pinnacle of his career also playing Gimli and, um, you know, I I think the script doesn't always give Gimli the the due that he deserves, but I think that Davies has the perfect voice for it and the physicality for it, and um, well, did did a great job um, with the role that he had. Good deal, John. Your uh, pinnacles. I think it's. I would agree. It's definitely the pinnacle of the box set with the commentary. Like that, there is no other movie before or after that comes close. To that, but also I think it's the pinnacle of the director's cut. It's not mm. just a commentary thing, it's the pinnacle of you got the theatrical version, but here's everything I filmed in the movie I wanted to release, but I couldn't because of time and theaters and stuff. And so I pre I really appreciate that. Uh that we got to see and, and eventually experience everything he wanted to show us. Uh, in in more of the full telling of the story that we all appreciated, uh, yeah. even that is some stuff that's you know not in the books that they added in or whatever, and that's fine because we're in the world and stuff. And I also think, I think we've talked a lot about CGI in this in this discussion. I think it's the, a real pinnacle. I think for kind of costuming uh, and not just getting a, a cast, but the outfitting them and making them feel like part of the world. That we talked about making it feel dirty, but I think like the cloaks and the way they uh the equipment they had and stuff was really well done and uh made it feel like they were part of where they needed to be yeah absolutely kill any other pinnacles we haven't mentioned um i think it's i think as as you know uh, within the set of the movies it is the the pinnacle for me just because it's the gateway it makes it's it's the first step that's accessible um you know i talk about my daughter watching it we introduced her to it in her elementary years and the first time she saw it she saw the extended edition on dvd where you had to switch the dvds in the middle and she didn't lose interest she understood it they made it accessible for anybody um and you know she wanted more and we had more and you know and she was disappointed when she saw it on tv and said hey they cut stuff no no we we saw the special one (laughs) but you know and it it just it, it I think it was a masterclass in how to make something that isn't as accessible for every reader in a novel into something yeah. that anybody who can walk off the hey, I think I'll see this epic and they're hooked. I think that definitely he knocked it out of the park with that. We're right out of time. I'm gonna squeeze in real fast. I think it's the pinnacle for Harry Feet. I think it's the pinnacle for fantasy on film still. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a it's the pinnacle for the hobbits as actors every one of them even mm-hmm. sam but mm-hmm. i'm not sure it is for anybody else that's in it because they all have something else that they've done you know aylmer became dr mccoy uh right. ian mckellen is magneto they um orlando bloom went off and did the caribbean you know i mean they all have done other things it seems like and lord you know um 
Galadriel has done all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But but the hobbits, they've never done anything to match this. And two of those hobbits are still living off of this. They're they're like doing a podcast now. They're so living off of it. So mm-hmm. we also, are out peak, of time. Yes. Peak for New Zealand. Peak for New Zealand. That's all. Yeah. Oh, it is it is New Zealand peak. Hundred percent. You're right. Guys, thank you so much. This has been uh, the Fellowship of the Ring 20th anniversary podcast or uh, video celebration. And I think we did a pretty good job. I'm going to clap us all in the back. All right. We will see you guys at Birmingham. We will see you in person, hopefully in the future. And we're going to get out of here. Thanks so much, guys. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.